I'll even get people around me to shield me up and praying for me and praying over me and going before me. But when that battle is over, then what does my shield do? It comes down. And then I get attacked. So how many times has it been where you've sensed God speak or there's been a moment of opportunity to step into and as you've stepped into it, things have got harder? Has anybody had that? Because discouragement has come. It's a bit like we've battled up for the first moment, but we've stood into the battle and then we've just got attacked. So when we read Nehemiah, we see this man who is not... He, there's something about Nehemiah that God made him a warble. Now, when I mention the word warble, does anybody else know what a warble is? Who knows what a warble is? A weeble. Is it a weeble? What's a warble? Oh, that's it, that's it. A weeble wobble, but they don't fall down. So who can give us a... um, Do you know who this gentleman is? This is Steve's dad. And we honour you. We honour you both. We love that what you've poured into this man ever since he's been born. And we love that we get to see the blessing of that. This man is a gift to our city and beyond. So we love all the prayers, all the um, prayer over him and the value that you've been ingrained into him. So we honour you for that. We love him. And we're not just saying that because you're here. We say that behind your backs as well. Could you give us a definition of what a weeble is? For those who haven't seen it. It has no legs and it's, it's shaped like an egg. And when it wobbles, it comes back up again. It never falls down, okay? It wobbles, but doesn't fall over. So there's something about Nehemiah, and, and it's hard to see this from chapter 1 and 2, but he was actually the best weevil that's ever been. When the enemy came to smack him, to knock him down, he may have went down, but he just wobbled back up. Because his hull was deep into God. He knew who he was, He knew who he belonged to. And therefore, he was undiscourageable. I love bringing about new words. He was undiscourageable. Um, I'm going to read um, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Nehemiah. I'm going to read it from the message um, paraphrase. So it's a little bit of reading, but I'd love for you to try to enter in to the story. Nehemiah. The Memoirs of Nehemiah. It was a month of Kislev, which is around about um, November, December, in the 20th of year. At the time, I was in the palace complex of Susa Hanani. One of my brothers had just arrived from Judah with his fellow Jews. I asked them about the condition amongst the Jews there who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. He was basically asking about home. They told me the exile survivors who are left there in the province are in a bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are still cinders. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, God, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Look at me. Listen to me. 
pay attention to this prayer of your servant that I'm praying day and night in intercession for your servants, the people of Israel. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And I'm including myself. I and my ancestors, amongst those who have sinned against you, we've treated you like a dirt. We haven't done what you've told us. We haven't followed your commands and haven't respected the decision you gave Moses, your servant. All the same, remember the warnings you posted to your servant Moses. If you betray me, I'll scatter you to the four winds. But if you come back to me and do what I tell you, I'll gather up all these scattered people from wherever they ended up and put them back in the place I choose to mark with my name. Well, there they are, your servants, your people whom you so powerfully and impressively redeemed. Oh, Master, listen to me. Listen to your servants' prayers. And yes, to all your servants who delight in honoring you. Make me successful today so that I get what I want from the king. I was a cupbearer to the king. It was a month of Nisan, which is around about May um, or April or May kind of time. In the 20th year, at the hour of serving wine, I brought it in and gave it to the king. I had never been down before in his presence. So he asked me, why the long face? Why, you're not sick, or are you? You're not depressed. That made me all the more agitated. I, I said, long live the king. And why shouldn't I be depressed when the city, the city where all my family is buried is in ruins, and the city gates have been reduced to cinders? The king then asked me, so what do you want? Praying under my breath. Praying under my breath to the God of heaven. I said, if it pleases the king, and if the king thinks well of me, send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so that I can rebuild it. The king, with the queen sitting alongside him, said, how long will your work take, and when can we expect your return? I gave him a time and the king gave his approval to send me. Then I said, if it pleases the king, provide me with letters to the governors across Euphrates that authorize my travel through Judah and also an order to Asher, keeper of the king's forest, to supply me with timber for the beams of the temple. For the wall of the city and the house where I'll be living, the generous hand of my God was with me, and the king gave them to me. When I met the governors across the rivers, I showed them the king's letters, and the king even sent along a cavalry escort. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were upset, angry, that anyone would come to look after the interests of the people of Israel. Interestingly, when you take the name Sanballat and Tobiah and you put all the letters together, you know what word you get? Discouragement. You don't actually, but wouldn't that be amazing if you did? <laughs> Hi, darling. Um, um, so I arrived in Jerusalem after I'd been there three days, I got, up to the, I got up in the middle of the night. I and a few men who were with me, 
I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal with us was the one I was riding. Under cover of night, I went past the valley gate towards the dragon's fountain to the dung gate, looking for the walls over the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken through and whose gates had been burnt upon. I then crossed the fountain gate and headed for the king's pool, but there wasn't enough room for the donkey. Center, and there was this um, commu- Harabi Community Center. Was a, it was an old building, but it was a beautiful building. And um, there was part of the moment where all the kids would leave, and they'd do all things. And the timing at the end was the kids would just um, cascade. Do you remember, Ruth? The kids would just sing. And Anna was this age when ever I was speaking at the end, she would not uh, be. She was just beautifully unaware of whatever was going on. And she would just run with all of her might down the middle and she would just dive into my arms. And the number of times that people said, Andy, I had no idea what you were talking about. But when Anna did that, it reminded me of how God welcomes me home. So this bit here where Anna's just brazen, just like, Dad, have you got the charger for the phone? (laughs) This is our attitude to prayer. She knows I'm a good dad. I'm not perfect dad, but she knows I'm a good dad. So why would she not ask me? So may that be a prompt and a reminder to some of you where you feel like you, like what what was that line at the start? I want to pray, but, ah, I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we haven't talked to so long. He is just right here waiting for you. Did I scold her? Not now, not the time. I, I'm, she, she's my delight. I love to hear her voice. And our Heavenly Father loves to hear your heart and your voice and your longing and your prayer. And, and here's the thing about Nehemiah. I don't know where Nehemiah's heart for the city came from. I don't know if he was when he was growing up. He heard story after story after story. I don't know if he was over the prayers of the people on his life. I don't know when the transition of God's heart for his heart came about. But something shifted in that first question when he said, what's it like back home? What's the walls like? What's it like? And he heard the answer and in that moment his heart was wrecked. When we put our hearts before God and say, God, what do you want to do in my heart? That's the type of prayer that he loves. That's the type of prayer that he pays attention to straight away. So what I'm trying to get at today is I think that these um, dreams that God has given some of you, that these visions that God has given some of you, I think God has spoken into some of our lives and discouragement has come along and therefore things of God have been put on hold in your life, in my life. And God today is saying, today we restart. We go again. We start anew. We start afresh. There's people here today and you're here for the first time. It may be the last time we ever see you. That's not because we don't like you. We love you. 
But it may be that God has brought you here just to let you know that we go again. We start again. He's up for a fresh start, a restart, if you are as well. One minute, sweetie. So here's the three things about um, Nehemiah. Assignment. He had heard from God what he had to do with his life. And Nehemiah was this incredible leader. You know, he was a visionary. He was somebody who could gather people. He had favor amongst the king. He had, he's just an incredible guy. But the secret to Nehemiah's success is he was a man of prayer. And when he talks about there in the, in the first part of Scripture, he talk, the first thing he did, he just fell to his knees and fasted and prayed. Saying, God, I need you to move in this situation. See, at Carlisle Vineyard, we can work really hard to get everything in place. We can get all the best systems and structures in place. But unless God moves, then we'll only ever have a superficial impression on this city. We need to see a deep move of God starting in my heart and in your heart and in the heart of the men, women, boys and girls in this city and beyond. I believe that God is wanting to pour out his reservoir of love and goodness onto this city and beyond. I believe the reason we are here in this city is to be a blessing to this region and beyond. Like, I've got to see stuff shift in this city. There was this key moment in my life when I realized, oh, maybe that's why I'm alive. Because I had this part of my life and I'm saying, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. What do you want of me? What do you want? And he was just like, um, (laughs) I had this thing going on in my heart at the same time where, and I, I, I honestly didn't know where it came from. It was just like, I just want to see this region come alive in Jesus. And then there's this light bulb moment, like a, the little light bulb thing. It's like, ding. I don't think it just came on like, ding. I think it was like the slowest dimmer thing in the history of dimmers. And I was just this moment in my life, and I'm like, oh, maybe. I was like the original slow-mo guy. I was just like, maybe that's the reason I'm alive that God has put into me something that just longs to see this region come alive in him. Ah! And these, this assignment from heaven is his assignment from me. Now, I've been discouraged in so many different ways you won't believe it. Well, you probably will believe it. I've been in, um, I think some of the hardest dis- discouragement comes from nice people. Because the opposite encouragement is fairly easy to see, isn't it? Or, of course, the enemy would want me to sit down and shut up. But sometimes when it comes from nice, well-meaning people, that's really hard. Because I think, oh, is that, Jesus, is that you? I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to get wrong in this. So I want to encourage you, if you've been discouraged, that we start again, we go again. And for Nehemiah, it's so interesting, isn't it, as we read that scripture. So he hears from God, his heart is broken, he prays. And then there's this moment where he starts to gather people around him, say, we're going to do something in this city. And instantly, instantly, discouragement comes his way. Discouragement comes his way. I am... Anna stole my phone and there's no battery on it, so I have no idea what time it is now. What time is it now? 
quarter past twelve. Um, okay, let me let me just say this. Um, I in the reading of scripture before I may I mentioned two things that he first started to pray in the month of November and December, but it wasn't until April or May that there was a shift. What did Nehemiah do in the in-between place? I want to speak for two or three minutes on the in-between place. The in-between place, and I have a sense that this is why some of you are here today. The in-between place is that place in between where we feel that we've heard from God, a promise from God, a vision from God, a dream from God, and this place here is the outworking of that. This place in between is called the in-between place. There's a guy I know called Jeff Mannion, and he wrote a book about this. And he said this in-between place is fertile ground. It's fertile ground for bitterness. It's fertile place for you to grow into a beautiful, beautiful oak tree. But it's also fertile ground for bitterness to take place. Because in the in-between place, Discouragement will come after you like no one's business. The enemy will try to get in at you, to dissuade you, discourage you. He'll do whatever he's got to rob from you the original dream. So the guys up at Harker Grange, man, you're in the in-between place, aren't you? You... You, you had this dream, this vision from God, which we love, and we've been praying for you for a long time. We didn't even know who we were praying for. So you've got this, and then you have this dream, the outworking of this dream, where you've got this place as just a blessing to the region, a blessing to the church, and this in-between place, where it feels like there's just a lack in every area, like lack of finance, lack of whatever. But we want to encourage you to stay strong in this in-between place, and we want to stand with you as your family, and you're not alone in the in-between place. I think these people in the room that God um, has for you to stand with these guys at Harker Grange. I don't know what that looks like, but I think part of it, that he's been aligning stuff in your heart, in your life, to stand with these guys and to bless them in Harker Grange. So in the in-between place, what did Nehemiah do? Well, he wasn't dissuaded and he wasn't dis courage. He kept his head down and he kept on doing what he did. See the Peggy and Christine Smith from Lewis in that in-between place how easy would it have been for them to stop praying? The pain of my arthritis is so bad I'm not going to pray today. I'm blind. I can't, I can't even see. I can imagine the excuses coming out of my lips if that was my story. But they said, no, I'm not going to allow this discouragement. And they kept praying. Because they knew in the in-between place, God was at work. So for Nehemiah in the in-between place from November to April and May, what was God doing? He was at work behind the scenes. And I want to encourage you that right now in your situation, in your in-between place, God is at work. He is moving. He is at work. He is warming people up. 
See, as a cupbearer to the king, which is kind of like an executive assistant kind of case, it's quite a big deal, a cupbearer. He kept his heart right and he served his socks off. Some of you may feel that you're in a workplace and you think, what am I doing here? Well, I want to let you know that it's significant. Your place of work is significant. Where you live is significant. The relationships that you have are significant. You're praying for somebody and your heart is wrecked that they're not here, sat beside you here today. Well, I want to let you know that God is at work in that person's life. He has not given up. And he doesn't want you to give up in prayer. I had a sense um, that when I was talking there about the in-between place, and um, it's a timing issue for somebody, and um, actually even just in this last week, maybe even in the last three days, you have said these words, um, not in anger, but a bit of frustration. God, do you not know? I'm I'm not going to call you out, but you've said to him, do you not know? Do you not know? And he, he wants to let you know this morning. He does know. He absolutely knows. And I don't know what that was for. Do you not know I'm still single? Do you not know that this is really hard? Do you not know about my finances? Do you not know about this? Do you not know? And he wanted to let you know that he does know. He does know. I have a sense that God is calling us to prayer. And I think this is one of the hardest challenges because it's easier to rally people for work, uh, for activity. You know, upstairs needs to be done. Like, it's been, it's great down here, but upstairs is a complete mess. And we're actually going to be starting on there. But God is saying, inviting us to be a people of prayer. And um, if you saw your faces, um, like this, I'm trying to say, how do I say this? Um, we all agree that prayer shifts things, eh? But as soon as I mention that, I sense God is inviting us to be a people of prayer. It's like a, a gentle heaviness comes on it. And like enthusiasm, <sighs> it's like something's one. Um, like we had, like we were nearly pumping something, like a dinghy, and it was getting bigger and bigger. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, an assignment from heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, oh yeah, we can see this region coming alive in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Pump, pump, pump. Oh, and God's calling us to be a people of prayer. <sighs> and I think part of that is because often we carry disappointment in our hearts when we think of prayer. But disappointment is just a cousin of discouragement. And I'm so sorry that you've got some disappointment and discouragement in regards to prayer. But what's it going to do? Shut you up? Was that your last prayer? 
Because we know that things shift in regards to prayer. So I have a sense that God is calling us and inviting us to be a people of prayer. And I think part of that is corporate. I think part of that is individual. And I think part of that is just grabbing other people, not waiting for an email to officially come out, but just grabbing one another and saying, we are going to be a people of prayer. Would you pray for me? Can I pray for you? Let's meet early. He, Nehemiah, he fasted and prayed. That means he went without stuff to seek God for his more. He says, I'd rather miss a meal and see your heavenly... Uh, agenda come on Botchigate. I want to see things shift in my place of work, so I'm going to miss a meal. I'm going to miss my internet, whatever it is. And the fast option is entirely what it, it's up to you what that looks like. But imagine that. What would happen? What would if none of us engage in social media for a month, and every moment we had on that, we gave it to prayer? Yikes. And I'm talking, my fingers are there. I'm here first, okay? But I want you to, um, it feels quite heavy this morning, doesn't it? Is it just me or does it feel quite heavy? What? It does feel heavy. Why does it feel heavy? Because we're talking about discouragement? Help me. Help me understand. It feels like it's gone heavy. It feels like discouragement has moved in. Miriam, you help me. I know you're like, don't ask me, don't ask me. I'm not, I can't live with discouragement. I can't have it circling my heart or circling your heart. Like Lucy Belton, you are an absolute gift to this city. And I know the assignment of discouragement is to shut you up and sit you down. And I'm sick of it. Lucy, you're an absolute gift. An absolute gift. Your voice brings life to people. And the assignment of the discouragement is to shut you up and silent you. And that is true for every single life in this room. So I want to encourage you. Aaron. I knew Aaron, what, how many years ago, Aaron? 20? Ah, yes. And this is Benjamin, beautiful Benjamin. Erin, you were a great mum. Are you four? No way. But you were a great mum. You can see how she's a great mum, can't you? Now, what did it cost me there to encourage Erin? It cost me absolutely nothing. So before we go any further, I feel like heaven wants to encourage other people in the room. And it would be easy, like, easy, friend, you've got to believe me. The easiest thing for me now would just be to bow my head and close in prayer and not to face the elephant in the room. But we have not started Carlisle Vineyard to have elephants in the room. So discouragement is trying to move in, move into heart, but I'm done with it. So what we're going to do now, and some people, this may be the last time you're going to come. That's okay. Um, what I want you to do is um, take the, what, a weeble, Take the weeble approach, because discouragement will get you on your back and not allow you up. A weeble just comes right back up. So if you feel like you've been discouraging something, I want you to stand up now and call out something encouraging into somebody else's life. Ruth, when you spoke before, we were encouraged. You hear from Jesus. You carry a, a community heart in that, so your voice brought life before. So what, what are you going to shout out? How are we going to combat this? This is what it looks like to be in battle. Just to let you know, we're in battle here. So how are we going to encourage one another? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, love it. Yes, and amen. Yes, John. Yes, come on, John. Brilliant. Okay, so here's, so here's what we've done. We've just done a perfect illustration in the last five minutes what life looks like. So we sense a God speaking saying, I've got an assignment that I want to give to you that is going to bring life to you and the region that you're in. And we're like, okay, God, I'm up for that, and I want to step into that. We take one step out, and we get battered by whatever comes our way, and we then shut up and sit down. So what we've done today is try to learn about what it means to actually hear from God and keep stepping on to that. You need to go for a walk with my dad sometime. My dad has a gift of plodability and stickability. He'll just set off walking and he won't stop. He's like the original Forrest Gump. Like, he is ridiculously um, slow at the start when he starts walking up a hill. But the thing is, he will not stop. He won't stop for the weather. He won't stop for a fence. He won't stop out of discomfort. He keeps going and moving forward. So may I encourage you, as you step into prayer, as you step into the assignment that the Heavenly Father wants to give you for this region and beyond, be encouraged. And you can encourage anyone. Like, more spontaneous encouragement this week. This and that is why I'm rushing over. <laughs> I just want to thank you because we have just witnessed discouragement being blown away. You have just gone through the discouragement, Andy, and seen it off. You have just done that. Oh, bless you, Sonny. Sonny's one of our favorite people on the planet. We started Carlisle Vineyard for Sonny. Um, Sonny's, uh, you, you won't, maybe uh, you don't know who she is, but she breathes life into so many lives behind the scene, literally, and I'm not exaggerating here, that these people who are alive today, because I heard they heard words of life from Sonny. Like, that's huge, isn't it? Imagine if she kept those words to herself. Okay. I am actually done. But we're just getting started, aren't we? Here's my question. How many times are you going to allow discouragement, disappointment to steal from you? And you don't even put up a fight. How many more times are you going to allow that to happen? How many more? So if Rhoda was here, I could imagine her saying these words. Let's stand. Let's stand, and we're going to pray together. And this is a, an opportunity to stand for a restart, stand for a fresh start, take a step forward out of discouragement, out of disappointment, out of discourage. So Jesus, here we are before you right now, and we welcome your Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we welcome you.
Some of you were in worship before. Say, Holy Spirit was just ministered into your hearts. Blessing you. Bringing peace where there's turmoil. Literally, he was calming seas of chaos in your heart. I just want to let you know that was Jesus. And for some of it, it's a bit like Jesus has been doing um, like CPR with you. Breathing his life afresh into bones, into our bodies. Uh, for some today, it's a resinking kind of time. Father, I'm sorry I've rushed ahead into my timing of things, but I now resink into heaven's perspective. So we thank you, Jesus, that you meet us all in different ways in the same place. So I declare courage over each and every one of us. And this invitation from heaven to be a people of prayer, we step into that. We, de- we, we absolutely cry out our utter dependence upon you. And we say we are sorry for when we've allowed discouragement and disappointment to steal from us. And we haven't even put up a fight. So we pray that you'll just speak over our lives, Jesus, in a louder voice. Would you encourage us to such an extent that we cannot keep it to ourselves as we live out the assignment from heaven? I don't want to rush this bit, but it just, I just have a, a picture. Like it's, I feel like God is saying, if you give me your heart, if you, if you offer your heart into my presence, I, w- I will start pouring my heart into your heart. I think these people here today, and, and you've been frustrated and fed up like you wonder what my what is my life all about what is actual purpose yeah i've got a house and i've got my job and but what is my life all about and i feel god is saying to you if you bring your heart to me i will give you an assignment from heaven that is going to bring you life and life to those around you